Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You gave them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Good evening. My name is Joe Abdo. I'm one of the three elders here at Grace Community Church downtown, along with Jeff, who just did the reading, and Jason, who gave the opening. <clears throat> We're going to be spending some time tonight in the chapter Jeff just read, and it should already be familiar with most of you. If you've been following our reading plan, it has us read the reading on a personal level two weeks before, so you would have read this two weeks ago, and then in the next week, it gets discussed in our community groups, all before we come together and hear it preached from the pulpit. There are some reading plans on the chairs, so if you would like to take those home and use those to prepare for future uh, gatherings that we're together and to enhance your time in God's word, uh, please do so. <clears throat> so as we look at this passage, at this point in Jesus' ministry, He's well into doing his work that he came to do. His cousin John had baptized him and introduced him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Every Jew would know what he was referring to because of the story of the Passover and the annual sacrifices that took place every year at the temple. They would sacrifice a lamb for the forgiveness of their sins. John declared Jesus to be the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. So things are really rolling now in Jesus' ministry and he'd been traveling and performing many miracles and teaching some remarkable things that were causing quite a stir, making friends and enemies everywhere he went. I imagine some were drawn to follow Jesus because of the radical things he was saying, and others were drawn to him because of the vision of the kingdom that he was proclaiming. But let me ask you this. Why did you decide to follow Jesus? I want you to ruminate on that for a bit and go back in your mind to the time when you made that decision I'm going to follow Jesus. We know from Romans 8 that those of us who are true believers are part of this process described uh, in Romans 8, starting in verse 29, 
Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Most of us here are in between those last two stages of having been justified by faith and are in the process of being glorified. That's the, and we're in that process called sanctification. It's this progressive thing that makes us more like Christ, which is his promise to us. We have been, for those of us in Christ, we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the theological background, but my question for you is more practical. When you think about the trajectory, trajectory, that's a tough word. When you think about the trajectory of your life and what you want to be said about you, what motivates your thinking? When you lay down at night or wake up early in the morning or, would it, or wherever it is that you reflect on your day and the question arises, do I want to continue following Jesus today? How do you answer that? Jesus' disciples face the same question at this time here in our story. They'd been traveling and serving, and as our story says, they didn't even have time to eat. Jesus' teachings were difficult and confusing, and John tells us in chapter 6, after, many, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, and this is what I tell myself at times like this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I want to encourage you to have an answer to that question based on the truth of Scripture that you can rest on when things are difficult. That solid truth that gives comfort to your soul and reinvigorates you to continue serving Jesus. In the miracle of the feeding the crowd and the walking on water, Jesus was trying to teach the disciples that they can trust him. Soon he'll be restored to his place with the Father and it will be time for them to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the situation we are, that's the situation that we are in as we serve Jesus today. We are called to serve God in the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> every day, in every circumstance, God is asking us, do you trust me? We at Grace Downtown are being led into a new phase of ministry life. Out of the, quote, secure environment of our mother church, we've been ministering in Iowa City alongside Grace North Liberty for 10 years, and, are in, the, and in the process we've developed our own identity, our own style of ministry, and our distinct mission field. Do we trust that God will provide? Do we trust that God is leading? Think of the disciples. They were asked to feed over 5,000 people. They did what God uh, commanded him to do in faith. And what happened at the end? How many baskets did they collect? From the audience, an answer. How many apostles were there? 12 apostles. He was trying to teach them, you can trust me. Things are difficult, but I will provide for you. You're going to be okay. And I just want us to know as well, you're going to be okay. Trust God. Follow where he's leading. He is faithful. He can be trusted. 
In today's text and in our experience over the last 10 years, Jesus has shown himself to be awesome. Like the disciples of his day, his glory has inspired us to do great things. Will you join me in continuing to attempt great things for God? Many of you have already seen God act in amazing ways. Are you willing to continue to trust him? All of us are in a different place now than, when, than we were when we planted Grace Downtown 10 years ago. And the faith that it's going to take to see, the faith that it's going to take for God to see us to the next level is a different faith, but it's the same God. He wants, us, he wants to show us that his surpassing great, that he, he wants to show us his surpassing greatness to those of us who believe. I arrived in downtown, I'm, I'm rather, in Iowa City 20 years ago with my family and a team of people to plant a new church in Iowa City. That church doesn't exist as such anymore, but I'm convinced that those years that we spent laboring have reverberated throughout this community and continue to do so. Some of you are here from a church that no longer exists. I want to promise you, in the grace of God, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What you have done for the Lord will continue to reverberate in this town for years to come. The glory that inspires us to serve him will also bruise our ego and expose our weaknesses. Many times Jesus lovingly pointed out to his disciples their wrong thinking or lack of faith. And that's the situation here. In light of his glory, are you willing for him to reveal your wrong thinking and your lack of faith? Can you trust him at that level? Paul reminded the Corinthians that we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? Why clay? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. So what must, have the, what must the apostles have felt when Jesus addresses their concern about the large crowd needing food by telling them, you give them something to eat? What must have been going through their minds? Can you imagine? I'm sure you, when you read that for the first time or heard it for the first time or even as you continue to read it in your study of the word, it just kind of knocks you back a little. What do you mean you feed them? Was he setting them up for failure or wanting to strengthen their faith? Think about the men and women who were following him. There was no middle class in their society, so most of the followers lived season to season, or maybe even day by day, just hoping to do well enough financially to survive and put a little away for emergencies and for the future. They came from that setting to believe that Jesus was someone special, and they were willing to leave everything to follow him. And now their rabbi is telling them to come up with enough food to feed a large crowd. They had no money to give, but they could sell themselves into indentured servitude for what would end up being about a year. Is that how he wanted them to feed the crowd? (laughs) Is this what Jesus was asking them to do? In situations like this, when there's an opportunity for a huge return, he's asking them to risk big. And if any of you are financial consultants or anything like that, um, you know that to get big returns, you have to invest in something big that could be risky. So when there's an opportunity for a huge return, you're willing to do a little more than 
what would be the norm. Was this one of the opportunities that the disciples had? I imagine their minds were swirling, wondering what Jesus meant. You give them something to eat. So let's just think about what's been happening to them up to this point. They started in Capernaum. They healed a man with an unclean spirit. Then he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law, who, as all of us who have watched The Chosen know, her name was Eden. They healed many in that city, well into the night. They went to Galilee, healed a leper, and the news spread so much that people were coming to them from every quarter, it says, and they had to stay in desolate places just to avoid the crowds, just to have time to rest and get something to eat. Then they returned to Capernaum, healed a paralytic who was lowered through the roof, They openly challenged the Pharisees, or Jesus rather, openly challenged the Pharisees by associating with sinners and tax collectors, by healing on the Sabbath, picking grain on the Sabbath, and claiming to be Lord of the Sabbath. He appointed 12 apostles and sent them out to preach, heal and cast out demons. He caused his own family to be concerned for his physical and mental well-being and then redefined what his family was. He calmed a storm while out on a lake. He healed a man who had multiple demons and couldn't be restrained even though bound in iron. He had healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and he raised a young girl for the dead all on the same day. And just most recently he had sent them out without provision and gave them power to heal and cast out demons. And so here they are, having followed Jesus and served him and seen miraculous things, and now he's asking them, you give them something to eat. Actually, he didn't ask. It wasn't a question. It was a statement. You give them something to eat. God isn't asking us at Grace Downtown to feed 10,000 people, which is what the number would have been if you had 5,000 men, assuming their spouses and some children were with with them, 10,000 people. God's not asking us to do that today. But he has allowed us to feed thousands over the past 10 years through many opportunities of meeting needs that become aware, having meals after Sunday night services, and just generally serving in our community. We all know people from within this congregation and the North Liberty congregation who have pulled up stakes and moved overseas with little or no safety net for the sake of the gospel, many serving in places where it's dangerous to be known as Christians. And as I think back over the last 10 years and look over our congregation here, I see many of you and many who have, others who have moved on since then who have given much to get us to where we are today. And I just want to let it tell us, if we're going to persevere in the things that God is asking us to do, We need to be people who remember. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament, God tells his people, remember this. Tell your children this. Don't forget this. If we're going to persevere in the things God is asking us to do, we need to remember, one, we we need to remember that God remembers. God remembers our deeds. In Hebrews 6.10, it says, God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. In Matthew 25, in one of his parables, he said, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. 
God remembers. In 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul says this, We give thanks to God for you always, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering you before our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to remember that God remembers. <clears throat> we need to remember that God knows our frailty. He knew his disciples' frailty. He knew that they had been serving night and day with a little time even to eat. And when it came time for them to get in the boat, he dismissed, it says this, he, he dismissed the crowd. I'm sorry, he immediately made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. He was thinking of them. Go on, get some rest. I'll take care of these folks. He remembers our frailty. He says in Psalm 103, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. He wants to do supernatural things through us, but he remembers that we are but dust. He remembers that we need rest. We need food. It says in Isaiah 42, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. When you're tired of serving, when you're asked again, will you do this? Can you step up? He knows that you're weak and he doesn't expect you to do any more than he's enabled you to do and provided for you to do. We also need to remember that God rewards those who serve him. He said, whoever leaves father and mother or brother and sister or farms and, and more, he, will he not receive much more in my father's kingdom? God remembers your work and he will reward you. He also says, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. All the chairs you've set up and stacked away, all the children you've discipled during the service, all the hours of practicing music and leading the saints in worship, all the meals you've prepared and served, all the souls you've greeted and the doors you've held as people come in, all the prayers that you've offered on Sunday evenings and throughout the week, all the financial support you've provided, all of it is noticed by God and recorded in detail so that he can reward you on that day. We need to remember that God remembers. But the most important thing we need to remember is what Christ has done for us. If we forget who we are in Christ, then serving him becomes a duty and not a joy. If we remember that God enables us and gives us grace to do the things he's called us to do, we'll much more gladly step forward and say, I see a need. I'll do it. I'll fill that role. And another thing that we need to remember is that he's given us a practice to do to help us remember what he's done for us in Christ when he told us, do this in remembrance of me. We need to remember Christ's work on the cross. We need to remember the grace that he provides 
to those who believe. We need to remember that it's he who called us and it's he who enables us to follow him and serve him. We need to remember that when those times when we feel like, is it really worth it to continue serving the Lord? That yes, it is. He has done so much for us. It is worth it for us to give what we have to him. So as we remember the Lord tonight in the, in the breaking of bread, I want us to give thanks from the bottom of our heart for all that he's done for us because that's what's going to enable us to continue to serve the Lord when those times are rough. That's going to, what's going to enable us to continue as Grace Downtown to continue to be a witness to this city for the next 10 years. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you never forget. And I thank you that you know who we are and you know the situation that you've called us in and you know what you've enabled us to do. And I thank you that there is no deed that we do for you that is forgotten. I thank you that there is no word of encouragement that we offer that isn't recorded and will be rewarded. And I thank you that we get the privilege of gathering as your people every week to hear your word, to worship you, to fellowship. And Lord, I pray that you would add to our number day by day those who are being saved. I pray that you would enlarge our tent and make our congregation a witness to you tomorrow and for years to come as we continue to gather and serve you and meet the needs of this community. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.